to the show brain health unchaining your pain and i'm really really pleased and really looking forward to this conversation with amazing guest dr ron welcome to the show so much for having me appreciate it <laughs> you're most welcome so for those that don't know dr ron he is the founder of the texas center for lifestyle medicine one of the rare facilities to deliver functional and integrative medicine for the insured population. He is also the host for the upcoming 2023 Better Brain Health Summit, which will be streamed online. And I'm really excited and uh, looking forward to that and learning more about that in, in the upcoming uh, weeks and months. So I look forward to that. And um, we got connected through the amazing Fallon Jordan, I believe, through the Aim yes. Clinic. So, yes. um, who's also been on the show? So, so welcome. So, before we dive into your story and the and the topic for today, which is really a love to talk about belief systems, could you tell me what you're passionate about in life right now? I think that whenever we uh, look at passions. Uh, it really is chipped away from us and we kind of molded into something that is our own story. So a lot of my passions come from my own stories dealing with brain health. So obviously I'm exceptionally passionate about brain health just due to the number of concussions and also the stuff that I've had before. Uh, but more importantly, I think I'm passionate about delivering on the message that you can do something about your brain health and most of it is within our control and i just wish people knew that so that's my main passion yeah do you know i love that i think people often are, are given this belief that they don't have any control over how their brain has evolved they think they're stuck with their brain there's no ability to change it their diagnosis is their diagnosis and that's kind of it and they just have to live with 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 their symptoms but actually we have a huge amount of power and a huge amount of control over how our brain works, how it functions, how it how it operates and how we can get the best out of it, not just how it is now, but actually optimize it for for the future, irrespective of of the age we're at, which is why I love brain health so much myself. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. So I'd love to know um, what would you say optimal brain health is for you personally in the context of your life's journey and also being uh, a doctor of medicine? Yeah, sure. So I'll kind of start by looking at observations first. Uh, and it's uh, observing patients. Uh -huh. So in Texas here, so we I practice integrative and functional medicine, um, but we do so in the elderly population, the insured population, uh, people who don't have a lot of resources as well, right? So we do take a lot of government assistance and uh, government-assisted programs as well. So there's a lot of stuff out there. You can get certain diets and supplements and stuff like that. Well, not everyone have the resources to, to mm -hmm. access that. So um, I get really uh, obsessed a little bit <laughs> about data. So but if we look at the data, 
of a lot of people who are in this category of brain health. When I say brain health, I mean physical brain health or uh, even uh, mental health as well. So I could mm -hmm. lump it into one thing. If we look at this category, who are the people that have the best transformations? And if you actually look at the data, it's people who kind of change their belief systems into thinking that they can actually heal. Because no matter what, if people have this sort of belief system that they're going to continue to spiral down, not a whole lot of change can occur because, you know, people don't let it occur. And so part of looking at the data is looking at other disease associations associated with like brain and cognitive health. Mm -hmm. So uh, I, I hold an expertise in looking at EEG technology. So electroencephalogram, basically, mm -hmm. it's looking at electrical signals of the brain. Um, and when we look at these electrical signals of the brain, there are some very big similarities between belief systems and mental health and actual like traumatic brain injury and even dementia. And the physiology of the brain is so similar that I believe that there shouldn't be a separation between brain and mental health. It's really just kind of one category, but what yeah. patterns we, we, we look at. So, and by looking at these patterns uh, over the last seven years, um, thousands of different brains we're looking at, we can see that a lot of people with uh, belief systems that are kind of rooted in depression and anxiety are also rooted in trauma, like psychological yeah. trauma, as well as uh, emotional trauma, as well as concussive trauma, stuff like that. And so what happens is that I'm able to screen people with mental and brain health disorders and categorize them into different categories, right? Mm -hmm. So the biggest category is what I like to call the sleepy brain. The sleepy brain literally means that the brain frequency is so low that during the daytime, people are kind of sleepy. Mm -hmm. but it feels like depression and it feels like anxiety and it feels like chronic fatigue right and it feels mm -hmm. like uh like like you're lazy because society has told us that we're lazier than the average person or we're more more anxious than the average person and i think that there's a lot of belief systems in society that labels the way that we feel that does is it's not congruent with our actual physiology so people feel like they're in this secular part of uh of society that they're not quote unquote normal yeah do you know i just want to pause you there because i think that's such yeah. an important point that yeah. that society our society belief systems act as an enormous influence on how we um see ourselves in terms of our brain health and it's you know society can put us in this bucket where we're you know we could be diagnosed with any kind of mental health issue or brain health issue whatever it happens to be whether it's alzheimer's disease whether it's lyme's disease depression any of it and actually the societal belief system that is wrapped around that those words <laughs> associated with your diagnosis can right. become your own belief system and really hinder you in your progress and actually we also had um rex miller on the show his his daughter went to to the aiming clinic and and she was di she was incorrectly diagnosed before they went to the aiming clinic and it was it was a struggle to unravel the belief system that she'd been given based on her previous diagnosis 
because she right. had accepted that as the label that as that was who she was. And actually many of the labels that we have in terms of our brain health that's, that have been, you know, evolved over time are just that they're just, they're just a label to describe a symptom. It's not necessarily even the root cause of our struggle. Mm -hmm. And it certainly doesn't have to define who we are. And we can turn that label around and turn it into a superpower if if we if we want want to do so. If we choose to, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> we can we can appreciate that, you know, whatever we focus on is what we get in life, right? Right. And if we focus on the diagnosis that others may have put upon us and we focus on the lack of validation of these symptoms, that's that's what we're going to get. Unfortunately, that's where the society comes in. Right. Yeah. There's been a massive change. And you talk about the Amen Clinic, which, by the way, I'm sitting across the street from the Amen Clinic here in uh -huh. Dallas. Um, <laughs> I actually just got my head scan this morning. Um, so so. As we're looking at new like imaging and modalities, like I, I use the quantitative EEG, Dr. Amen used yeah. SPECT. So I've had QEG as well. So I completely understand, you know, right. where you're at is looking at your brain patterns and your, and it measures your thought processes and looks at how your brain is functioning. Um, yeah. And it's particularly good for head trauma as well, so. It is, but what it does, it kind of validates you because it looks, it takes a look at your brain the QEG, yeah. and it compares, how do you compare to other people called a standard deviation in statistics, like how far away you're from the normal in each part of the brain. Yeah. So if your temporal lobe is like really far off, then yes, you're going to have emotionality and all these different issues, but is that a psychological thing? It may not be. So yeah. here's, here's what's interesting is that there are really common disease associations when we look at the data like sleep apnea being the number one disease associated with all mental health disorders doesn't matter if it's bipolar schizophrenia anxiety depression what it is right and then there's other things like chronic histamine issues like chronic allergies um, and even dental infections so yeah. the, the data has gotten so good right now in our facility i can identify someone who's potentially has a dental infection or chronic sinus issues that's causing anxiety and sleep impairments just by looking at the qeg so so even something as simple as that to pull the lever on is a huge implication in the brain and mental health process and mm. we see that in the data we have in our facility right so mm. that that's a whole other belief system that I've kind of realized over the last few years, looking at thousands of these of these brain maps. Does that make sense? Mm. Mm. And I know you mentioned that some people don't have the financial resource to get the you know all of the supplementation, perhaps, or all the mm -hmm. additional um, support that would be best in class um, right. to help them enhance their brain health but that that ought not to prevent people from getting better or becoming optimal and i'd love to explore that that point that you made earlier yeah let me break that down once we find the pattern um mm -hmm. a lot of the tools that we provide for the patients has nothing to do with purchasing something it has to do yeah. with belief systems and breathing <laughs> those those two things yeah so uh, we made an online university about this. So if you go to www.tclmuniversity.com, which is actually in the little scrolling thing below mm -hmm. here, 
on there, there is a section called Mind Sculpting Master Workshop. It's actually to retrain our belief systems uh, into something that's far more powerful that serves us. Mm. And in that, we teach breathing techniques uh, from yoga breathing to fox breathing, Wim Hof, et cetera, et cetera, mm. to mindfulness and meditation. Those tools you can find anywhere now. You can find them on YouTube and stuff like that. Those are far more powerful tools than taking like a B vitamin and stuff like that. Now, why is that? Now, the reason that's more powerful is because one, you can do it every day. You know, it's unlimited. Two, it's free. And three, it's essential to the process. Supplements are supplemental. They're not essential to the process, but breathing is essential to the process, right? And so we know based on a lot of data out there that different breath techniques is able to change the way that we actually signal, uh, create signals and receive signals in our brain mm. over a long period of time. The more we do it, the better it is, just like exercising, right? Mm. And so, for example, that's something that anyone can actually do, but that's where the focus really has to, has mm. to be, right? And then the belief system. So belief system is based on relationships. A lot of people have support systems and some people have what I like to call the anti-support systems, the sabotagers. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and <laughs> you know what I mean, right? And so, yeah. this, and so, and so leveraging uh, these support systems and understanding who's really in your corner or who seems to be in your corner and recognizing that and knowing that there are some people that can trigger us in specific ways. And we see this in different relationships, spouses, we see those you know, uh, uh, mother, daughter relationship, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And creating safety in those, in those relationships is so much more powerful than any supplement that you can take. Right. Mm. So yeah. That's totally. that's, yeah. And relationship with yourself too. Self right. I think that's so important because we yeah. can spend so much of our time looking out at the relationship with others and right. have really great relationships with people. Um, external to ourselves, but being a really toxic relationship with ourselves, and 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 really not learning to love ourselves and 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 love who we are and love our brain. In fact, often we we neglect the most important organ <laughs> or in our body that pretty much runs everything, right. um, and have a really poor relationship with our with our brain. And that's such a great point. Because you know, in our facility, we have tools for everything. We have neurofeedback. We have we have access to refer to hyperbaric chambers and ozones and IV therapies, yeah. supplements. None of that matters if you don't get your relationship with yourself and others in order. If you don't yeah. get your breath in order, those are still yeah. the two most fundamental things. And a lot of people who come seeking us out for a lot of these other modalities, sometimes we purposely just stop them before they go there because. A lot of times they want to kind of neglect other things other than focus on the relationship with themselves or even the breathing process. So we're very much like fundamentalist essentialists, right? Like get the essential stuff improved yeah. first and then we move on to the next phase. And I think it's I think that's really, really important. And I love the fact that you are doing that because so often people look for that external quick fix. Yeah. You know, you know, they think that nutraceuticals or supplements can can get them out of a bad diet or exercise can get them out of a bad diet or 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 therapy can get them out of a bad relationship but they don't take the time to look internally and do the internal work on themselves and look at the relationship they have with themselves which ultimately is the 
building block for everything else <laughs> you know that defines the relationship we have with food that defines the you know the relationship we have with others if we don't love ourselves it's hard to it's hard to effectively love other people over the long term and it's it's within our control absolutely let me just kind of validate that for a second because i didn't know that a few years ago so a lot of times when people come in, we gave them what we wanted. Here's a supplement protocol. Here's a nutraceutical protocol. Here's a nutrition protocol. Here's you know, X, Y, and Z, right? IV, stuff like that, right? Yeah. And so I'm a data guy, which means that if there's no success in something, like we would know it. So yeah. statistically speaking, all that is sort of in the, the zone of distraction for most people. Yeah. And, and it's not until we looked at the belief systems and structures that we accidentally stumbled into this sort of mindfulness sort of as the number one. Now, how did that happen? So 2018, um, I looked at data points of people uh, improving a lot of disease states, not just mental health, but like autoimmune disease and diabetes and stuff like that. All the miracle changes, okay, uh, of these patients started after some life event, a death of a family member or a divorce or even a marriage. So some yeah. life event, whether mm -hmm. it's a good or bad life event, it's a life event. And they had to mm -hmm. redefine themselves. And all of a sudden in their blood work, things look different. They look like a different human when we look at them physiologically. They have wrinkles mm -hmm. start going on. I'm like, what's going on? And then that's when we start adopting mind-body medicine into our practice. And then, boom, people were changing left and right. And it was really fabulous to see without going down the route of sort of distraction, right, of, mm -hmm. of all these crazy things that are out there. So you don't have to have like $2 million worth of biohacking, you know, tools to, <laughs> to really improve the brain health. It really honestly starts with belief systems and relationships mm. and mindfulness. And do you know what it, you know what, having interviewed people like Mark Edmondson, who was diagnosed with stage four terminal cancer and given a year to live the bit, you know, he, he was offered all of these external treatments, but the big change factor for him, was his belief system and knowing that he could yeah. beat it and knowing that he had the power to take back control and do what was necessary himself personally to improve his life. And actually that, that diagnosis radically changed his life's trajectory mm. and helped him optimize his lifestyle to suit his needs and that of his family's needs because, because the family became really important and he survived, you, you know, stage four, he had multiple lesions in his liver. Um, he, he's now survived for five years and, and just, just been and given the all clear um, based on, a, you know, a diagnosis of one, one year to, to live and everything looking very suboptimal for him. But the one thing that he said that helped him get through, which is the which is the first thing that I have in the academy that we have is is the primary thing to focus us on your belief. So you've got to believe you can overcome your obstacles that you're capable of overcoming, and then you've got the power to succeed and soar. Absolutely, and you know one one thing that we really found as a practice is that. Uh, a lot of belief systems really come from our childhood, right? The way that we we're raised, right. our parents and stuff like that. And there may be a set of belief systems that have served us well for most of our lives, but there's comes to a 
point in time where it no longer serves us. And there's a guilt associated with getting rid of that belief system, right? And I think, um, and I'm taking myself, for example, I was raised in a very strict Chinese family. I'm an immigrant to the United States. I was, I was, my childhood was spent in China. So a lot of the sort of the immigrant mentality and the belief systems um, were there is the immigrant mentality is neglect ourselves and do whatever we need to survive, right? Mm -hmm. You know, I'm, I'm 38 years old. I'm no longer in survival mode. So that, that sort of belief system no longer serves me. But at the same time, it's always kind of there, you know? And it really changes the way I, uh, it didn't change. It actually ingrains in the way I do things, even without thinking about it from my subconscious mind. And notice that if I'm, if I'm around my dad or my parents and uh, they say something, it triggers right there and then without even me knowing it. So a lot of the subconscious belief systems is there. And there is a guilt in trying to like almost unravel or undo all of that, yeah. right? And uh, and especially you know, I, I live with my my parents, um, and that's what a lot of Chinese people do. We live in a giant household, mm -hmm. different generations. That's my typical household with my daughters and, and my parents and stuff. So, so that 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 relationship is always there. But the it's not that I'm frowning upon the relationship that was built before, but that belief system no longer serves me, and I have to like consciously think about it to mm -hmm. say, oh, I, I got to stop doing this, right? And, and and flip that script around mm -hmm. and that's that's a very hard thing to do <laughs> but the <laughs> great thing is you're consciously doing it which yeah. is such an important thing because often the belief systems that we have are running in the background of our mind and right. they're running in you know they're running in our subconscious uh right. mind where most of our emotions are held we you know we have a lot of things in our background operating system that are running um from from a a mind perspective but the fact that you are consciously bringing it to the forefront of your mind and activating that logical thinking part of your brain which is your prefrontal cortex and giving yourself the space and the time to challenge it yeah. allows us to give ourselves back the power to manage our subconscious and i think that's yeah. such an important part of understanding our belief systems is taking the time like you said is to bring it to your conscious awareness and go, ha, huh, <laughs> this is my belief system from my past. Is this or isn't this serving my brain health or me, me and my family or whatever the situation happens to be going forward? Right. Do I want to continue or change it? And what's within my power to change? Right. And you're absolutely right. And also, you know, one of the tricks is because I act in my subconscious, I don't know what I'm doing sometimes. So I rely, I rely on my, even my eight-year-old, I rely on her. I rely on my wife. I rely on the people that are around me and saying, hey, are, you know, if you see patterns that may not serve me, like call me out on it. I'm okay with it, right? Yeah. And so, <laughs> it, it, I mean, as early as, you know, uh, my wife and I's anniversary was very recently and something just triggered me uh off of phrase i didn't even know why but she called me out and out so i just took a pause and, oh yeah yeah that's 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 my old circuitry happening yeah and having having people around me that do that is something that i rely on i used to hide it you know i used to be yeah. very proud you know the doctor <laughs> i'll do explains a very very proud person and i realized that that did also didn't serve me and how did no. it affect you because i know a lot of people especially especially men and I hate yeah. to call it out, but it's that's just the reality. 
uh, is men tend to have a habit of of not talking about it and there's this big driver from a mental health perspective is encouraging men to talk about the internal dialogue that's going on the internal belief systems and the internal fears and worries and emotions that that they tend to harbor especially given your amygdala is actually bigger than a female's amygdala typically on on average how did that affect you in your day-to-day or how did how did you how did they not talking about it impact you personally did it have a notable impact you know not talking about things is most of my life um, I was uh-huh. taught to avoid things because, you know, my, my parents grew up in China during the Cultural Revolution in the 60s, where, where most of my dad's side was imprisoned for for being medical professionals at that time. There was a huge wow. cultural revolution going on. And my father spent most of his childhood sneaking food into the jail cell for my grandfather, right? Wow. And so, and so um, I, I didn't know that when I was younger. Mm-hmm. And so these stories came a lot later, and but I noticed that the patterns that he's exhibiting, he's all he's trying to do is to keep me fed and out of jail too, right? And I think that's created his survival mechanism. But I saw myself doing the exact same thing, like growing up in the U.S., but I, I've always been in a safe place. My father's kept me safe. So uh, you know, me and my father butt heads a lot well, before, but now I'm starting to realize all he's trying to do is show his version of love Mm-hmm. And but to get there was a lot of conflict. It was mm-hmm. a lot of, of things that were just not said. And it's my dad, the greatest communicator in the world. No, he doesn't. He doesn't say anything about his feelings still. But I'm okay with that because I, I recognize it. And mm-hmm. I have to constantly tell myself I'm I'm going to love him whether or not he's going to show any emotion. And I'm not tied to that outcome, right? Mm-hmm. But it, but before that realization. You know everything that I did, my relationship with my wife, my kids, everything that I that I that was about me, was ingrained in that fight or flight, you know, war torn uh, mental mechanism, if you will, right? And that really didn't serve me uh, as a business owner too, as an entrepreneur, because I, I was mm. a team leader, you know. And building teams that operate in fight or flight is is catastrophic from a business perspective. <laughs> <laughs> and I had to I had to unlearn and undo a lot of that stuff because I was suffering that from on the professional side, right? What what was the you know, I'd love to explore, if you will, a little bit of the suffering that you experienced both from a internal perspective and also from a connection externally with people within your team and building your business. Because I think we we kind of don't necessarily acknowledge the knock-on impact not talking about stuff and not acknowledging stuff has on us until we crash often we have to wait for a crash Mm -hmm. until we pay attention it's like our body says no because our mind isn't listening Uh, and and that's often where people get to whether the crash is a terminal one hopefully uh, it, it doesn't it doesn't turn out that way but some you know often it's with it you know being having a massive uh, uh crash um psychologically right so my crash was not terminal thank god yeah. <laughs> uh, but this is what crashes look like uh, you know you feel like you're at the you're at the bottom um and you become sort of your worst enemy Right. And this happened at multiple points in my life. And I'm sure everyone can relate because everyone has crashes. Yeah. 
uh, but how you rise out of them is completely up to up to you, you know. And what it looks like is that I felt like my relationships around me were not the way I intended to be. And there was a lot of like self-victimizing, which which occurs, especially in my early 20s. And especially after so many concussions to, you know, playing sports and doing all sorts of stupid things. Um, And every time I had concussive injury, my, it just accentuated my 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 personality. It's accentuated my 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 subconscious triggering mechanisms mm-hmm. even more, and um, and none of that was really serving me. So I want people to listening that are out there that to realize that we've already suffered a lot of ups and downs. But taking the lessons from all those downtimes and, and progressing forward that's 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 how we improve things, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and now, you know, I, it's cool because I kind of teach my kids that whenever they're acting a certain way and I start kind of labeling it and, and just loving them no matter what for it, it allows the open communication, even with an eight-year-old, you know, and uh, it, that gives me a lot of joy. But all those things that, that I experience just from different downturns in life, I see my patients going through the same things, you know, whether it's relationships with themselves or other people, different parts of their life. And then the age doesn't even matter, you know. No. You know? <laughs> it's not even about the age or it's just about the fact that we always have to keep going. And we're, and we're human, which means we collect experiences. Yeah. And we will, we, and things are either tragic um, if we want it to be tragic, or we can use that tragedy and say, hey, what about what? are those things, the patterns around that tragedy that no longer serves me and move forward. So that's, that made me a bit of a, more of an optimistic person (laughs) going on through life. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, do you know, I think it's so important, you know, I often, when I was in my early teens and, and early twenties did really stupid stuff. And I, and I often, uh, you know, with my mum would often say, well, it's not you, it's, it's, And so I had this belief system that I didn't need to change. (laughs) But actually, the reality was it's a relationship. Mm. So when something isn't working out between you and something else or someone else, you've kind of got to look at the dynamic between Uh that's you and something else and work out what part of that dynamic can you influence and control and then work on that bit and not spend time trying to influence and control the other person's half of that dynamic but focus on you personally and it's really easy isn't it to focus on the other person uh, and and kind of do the finger pointing sometimes or or the pushing away and say well it's not me it's you or it, it, it you know it's got nothing to do with me um, and I certainly did that for a long time in fact I think probably up until I really understood the importance of brain health and and realized I had an awful lot of power to take back control. But like you said, it happens at any it happens at any age. And I noticed my daughter recently, she's only three and a half, but she had a big sulk on when we went to a play play area, an indoor play, and, and and you know, became really insular and inward and, and sat on the floor and crossed her legs and folded her arms and got into a huge huff. Um, because she wow. said, I'm sad, mummy, because you're not playing with me because I was busy just having a cup of coffee with people. But but the fact that she 
had that ability to communicate, whereas some people just go quiet and go into a sad state. Yes, yes. But she had learned the power to communicate her emotions. Right. Was great was a great thing. But if we don't teach people how to connect with their emotions and how to understand why they're behaving the way they do and what internal belief systems are causing them to behave the way they are, then it's very hard for people to to unravel it, isn't it? And that's really mature of her to tell you exactly how she felt. That's a huge victory, you know. Yeah. Some people, I was very proud of her. <laughs> that's great. Because some people see yeah. it as a huge failure because, like, oh, my gosh, I'm not doing X, Y, Z for my child. I was like, but the fact that your child told you that is a huge deal. I yeah. would never have done that when I was a kid. I would have yeah. been physically hit, you know, by my, yeah. by my grandmother if, if, if doing that. Because you don't say that to an elder in, in Chinese culture yeah, uh, yeah. back in China, right? And so, uh, and even right now, like, my, my kids are very, um, they can be very emotional, but they always say what their emotion feels like. And, you know, and they live with my parents, and my, and my parents aren't used to that. They're yeah. not used to kids being so like there and, and saying things that they almost get uh, not almost they do get uncomfortable you know at times sometimes yeah. they just look at me to be sort of the, the, the moderator certain things right yeah and so uh i have to like hold back myself thinking that okay they're they're looking at me not saying that hey why are your kids so unruly like getting into shape they're looking at me for really direction of how to like deal with this from because the grandparents they love the grandchild right and so um, it's 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 very huge generational you know difference, um, but at the same time, I knew I know that a lot of what my kids are doing now, just like just like your your three year old, is that they're really modeling behavior of what we promote you know currently, and that yeah. changes not just them but six seven eight generations down the line in, yeah. in our lineage, right? And yeah. that really halts uh, generational trauma. Yeah. yeah, and and you know I can really relate to your experience that you had with your family because my dad struggled to talk about his emotions when he he was alive and i think that a lot of that was possibly due to his childhood experiences he was born at the beginning of the war his father was away during the war he had to be the man of the house because he was the oldest and you know he went to a boarding school when he didn't want to and there were a whole heap of things wrapped up in that but he 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 was very it was very difficult for him to talk about his emotions because it would overwhelm him when he did and sometimes he would kind of explode you know you'd trip him <laughs> and he'd get really angry and i think that you know i always think about that in terms of managing my emotions because i kind of used to be like him you know i'd bottle it up bottle it up bottle it up and then suddenly the lid would come off in an, a catastrophic explosion <laughs> um, and I would kind of lose it a little bit. Um, and yeah. I think it's important that we learn how to manage those internal operating systems, which are driven by, you know, our emotions, our beliefs, our thoughts, and the environment is such a huge influencer on all of that to, to make sure that we are serving ourselves <laughs> and not yeah. just serving others and and we deserve to serve ourselves too that's another limiting belief that i had is like oh, i don't deserve any of this but you know we have to come to that the fact that we do deserve to serve ourselves so we can serve others as well 
yeah. you know, but I, I kind of want to tie the belief system. So I know we're talking about brain health, but I want to tie the belief system into our entire body, not really just our brain, right? So we'll get, let's get a little bit sciencey for a second. Oh yeah, so, definitely. Let's go for it. <laughs> so uh, I want to take this topic called autoimmune disease. And autoimmune disease yeah. just means that your body is no longer congruent with the trajectory that your life's taking. That's kind of my definition of autoimmune disease. So your body creates these autoimmune molecules that attack our cells, right? Yeah. It literally attacks our DNA. I mean, that's what lupus is. We create things that attack our own DNA, right? And so whether it's like Hashimoto's or lupus or autoimmune encephalitis or any of these terms, um, I we in our data set at Texas Center for Lifestyle Medicine, the people who have these miracle cases where they no longer have autoimmune disease will reverse it. It's not a specific diet or something. It's also a belief system that's there as well. Mm-hmm. So, so a lot of times I see these people with all these long lists of medical disorders and these medical disorders, uh, once we tap into the subconscious state and the, med- and, the, and the belief system, you see all of the biomarkers get better. The autoimmune markers get better. The blood sugars get better. Insulin resistant markers get better. Cholesterol gets better, et cetera, et cetera. And so that shows you that our brain is so powerful. It can create diseases and disorders to slow us down, to force us into taking a glance and look at life. You know, mm. and all the other fancy tools that we have to look at other things like viruses and infections and Lyme disease and mold and stuff like that. But we have a lot of tools for that. These are just observations of the end product of what's been going on uh, here in our in our heads. And so the idea is that if we start with a belief system that most diseases are actually all in our head and thank goodness for it. That means we can manipulate um, our belief systems so that diseases no longer are compatible with our body. And yeah. I'm a firm believer of that because I see it all the time in, in practice, right? And so that that's really what I want to tie into belief system and not just brain health, like the entire body. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think that's such an important point. And the fact that you've got the biomarkers and the, you know, the data to support it. But how, you know, you're, you've grown up in a medical belief system yes. that has been radically different yes. to functional and integrative medicine, which is, you know, where that's, that's what I am most interested in and what's, you know, what is working by looking at the whole system, not just looking at the symptom, how is how is that uh, belief system within the profession shifting or stuck? Because we're not just, you know, if we, we started the conversation, didn't we, about belief systems within society yes. influence yes, yes, yes. our own belief systems, and they massively do in the yes. context of the medical profession, because people can get hugely hung up on what they get taught in medical school, for example. Yeah, I um, did. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. And the reality is actually science has moved on hugely and on understanding and the power of our body and our mind is hugely shifted to what you were probably taught in medical school. But the but the but the belief systems of the people that are supporting those that want 
help have not necessarily shifted to the level that yours have how how is the you know how wide is the gap uh, or how much do more work do we need to do in order to facilitate that change in the approach to helping people get better that's a really good question because um, I have a company that actually uh, trains and advises for doctors uh -huh. uh, practicing medicine and not just integrative medicine, but all sorts of different things. Here's the yeah. thing and that, that I really want people to understand. Uh, there is a, we call this a selection bias. Selection bias is, this is selective select type of uh, persons that go into the medical profession, nursing, doctor, and stuff like that, right? Yeah. And these are the persons who, um, and when I say persons because there's different types of, of, of people here. These are the persons that enjoy sort of the, the hero's mentality, okay? And the hero's mentality is that, hey, I will wield the sword for you and fight this dragon for you, the patient, right? Yeah. In reality, um, that is not a healthy relationship because it's a codependent relationship. In reality, doctors and, 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 and healthcare professionals should be the guide so that the patients can be their own heroes. We're not, we're not taught that in med school. We're not taught that yeah. in residency. So what happens is the hero of the story, which is the doctor, may be fighting a completely different war than the patient. The doctor yeah. is fighting the war is, I have all these beautiful swords and tools for you. This could be like a medication. This could be, you know, a consultation or something like that, right? Yeah. And you don't value any of my, my, my weapons. I can't help you, right? And that is the biggest belief system rift between the conventionally, you know, medical practices and even the hospital systems and the public. But think about what happened during the global pandemic. People were taking health yeah. into the, really their own hands, and there's a lot of even fight between the uh, between doctors as well. Like, there's different belief systems that are really coming out. And the idea is that doctors start fighting different wars. You know, they have there's there's wars about everything now. So there's a lot of interprofessional hate uh, right now uh, if, you, if you just look at social media and it's really unnecessary and it's unnecessary because we as physicians should really be the guide so that the patient can be their own heroes however no one's taught us to do that you know there's yeah. no educational body in the united states that i know of that teaches us outside of you know center for my body medicine and stuff like that is the role of the doctor has to be in the guidance format not the hero yeah and the difference is heroes are really tied to the the the, the, the person's outcomes, uh, meaning that um, you know you come to see me as a doctor. I am tied to your outcome, even even emotionally tied to your outcome. That's yeah. actually not the best thing to do. That creates a lot of burnout. Now, if I detach myself from your outcome and I say, "Hey, you know what? Here are the tools," and whether you choose to use the tools or not, that's totally based on you. And if you don't use it, that's fine. Maybe you're not ready for it, or maybe that's you want another route, and that's okay. The mm. medical system does not teach us to let go of that, and that creates a massive amount of burnout. So whether we call it functional integrative health or whatever health it is, it I don't think any of that labeling really matters. Is the mm -hmm. reality of the situation is if you look at these senior doctors who are who are quite happy, they all have stepped into the guidance role. We need to fast forward to that mentality. Mm. Do you know, I think that's such a brilliant point because, you know, if we think of the person, 
that has got the struggle, whatever that's that may happens to be. I like to think of it as that they have to become their own warrior for their health. And and to be an effective warrior isn't just about equipping yourself with the tools yeah, <laughs> like you yeah. would do in a game <laughs> and getting all these lightsabers. You have to get the energy <laughs> <laughs> and the mindset, you know, as you would if you were physically on the battlefield. It's no good if you've got all the all of the weapon systems if you don't actually uh, have the ability to hold them, for example, or you you don't have the you don't have the internal belief system that you can actually conquer that whatever the struggle is or that enemy that's within you or, or external to you, whatever in you know in the context of of environmental impact that affects your whole body health. If you don't have that belief that you can conquer it with the systems that you've been given or that they are going to empower you to do that, you're not going to win the you're not going to win the battle and you're certainly not going to win the war. Yeah. And people are fighting different wars. And I'll tell you what, right. so when, patients, when patients come into the office, you know, I train my, my practitioners to do this. It's like before you even start the visit, you have to ask them what war they're fighting. It's like, you know, what you know, what, what is a great outcome that you wished from seeing me and what is my role in your journey? Yeah. That's a very different question than how may I help you? It's a very yeah. completely different question. That question yeah. anchors the patient in sort of that hero's role, knowing that this is their journey. And so um, what happens is then, then the patient will actually tell me exactly what my role is. And I stick to that role. I don't even go beyond that role, you know? A lot of them was like, hey, I just want you to guide me down the right path. I don't want to be on medicine, but I want to get my cholesterol down, right? Mm-hmm. And guess what? If I was a doctor who, who don't know how to do that, I would say, you know what? I appreciate you telling me that, but I don't know how to do that. I think someone else can serve you better. And let's see if I can refer you to someone else that can serve you better, right? Mm-hmm. Because my philosophy is if someone else can serve you better, I'd rather not do it because I'll be mm-hmm. doing you a big disservice. And we have Well, you'll have- be guiding them down the wrong path. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you know, you know the paths you can take people down on the mountains that you're able to help them climb. But if you if right. you don't if you personally don't have the right tools to take them up the mountain that they want to go, as you would do for any guide, mountain guide, you pick exactly. the person that's got the experience in that exactly. space. And they, you know, and as a as any professional, you it's important to have that confidence to say, do you know what? this is outside of my remit, which is what I do with my clients and, you know, refer them to people such as yourselves is to say that you need to go and talk to, to Dr. Ron because he's got this specialist expertise in this space. This, this is beyond me to support you. Go and talk to Dr. Ron and he'll be able to help you out. But the, the, I think the issue is because of the selection bias the type of people who go into medicine who serves as heroes, it's really hard for for people to kind of let go of that connection or, or mm. admit that someone else may serve them better from a subconscious point of view. Not from a conscious, mm. but really from a subconscious point of view is because that's not why they went into medicine. They went to medicine to become a hero, I mean, just like I did as well. Mm-hmm. But, that, but that belief system from a medical profession no longer serves me. And I try to teach that to other physicians and what they're able to let go that the hero's rule and become a guide, it is such a breath of fresh air for them mm. and it allows them to practice at a much higher level 
and then mm-hmm. you, you, even their Google reviews improve, you know? Mm-hmm. And so and so the perception of the value proposition, the proposed value of the doctor, the patient has to be in that guidance role. Mm. And do you know, I think it's interesting because because medical school, you kind of grow, you, you grow up in a very competitive environment. You know, it's yeah. known to be highly yeah. competitive and you need to be the best of the best. Right. But it's the best of the best for yourself mm-hmm. when you're going through education <laughs> and you're, you're certifying. But when it comes to being a practitioner, it's the best of the best for the person. <laughs> Yes, very different. Which is a very different relationship to the one that has perhaps been driven into your psyche through, um, through the you know through the educational system. I'd love to dive into the five pillars now, if you will, to look at the fun facts, which is the five pillars of brain health, which came about my my experience. So it's looking at the facts. So we go, let's look at the facts, which is your feelings, your actions your connections, your thoughts and surroundings, and that makes the five pillars of brain health, which is kind of like a stepping stone to get to where you want to go. So let's dive into the first one on feelings, because I know we talked quite a bit about that. What is the funniest or most embarrassing thing that has ever happened to you? The most embarrassing thing? Um, I'm, I'm going to turn red even saying it. <laughs> uh, but the most embarrassing thing is one time and i'll, I'll never ever you have to do this. some deep breathing or some or some opening <laughs> or some tapping to, to to calm your emotional yeah, state down <laughs> and this this may seem very minute but when i first started practicing medicine i was i was fresh fresh out of residency first year in practice and i was doing inpatient critical care and an outpatient as well and um i was just so uh, a, a teenager had just recently passed away under my care from the influenza virus, the flu, flu, uh, wow. flu virus. Mm-hmm. And I just got through talking to their family and then I rushed to the clinic because I was 45 minutes late because I was pronouncing her death, right? And then I remember the patient who's never seen me before. It's actually one of my partner's patients at that time in my previous practice. And he's like, you know, I can't believe you're late. You know, uh, you don't value my time. And, uh, and he just started just going on and on. And in my head, I'm like, well, you know, I literally just pronounced the death of a 17 year old. And I was trying to get over that from an emotional standpoint. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I honestly just started tearing up right in front of the patient. He looked at me for a second, he just left and I'll never forget that. It was very embarrassing for me yeah. um, because I, you know, I'm not supposed to be that person. Every patient, you have to like wipe your slate clean for like a brand new thing, right? Yeah. He, he honestly just came because he had a cold, but he doesn't know what I've been through, but he doesn't really have to um, yeah. because that was about me and about him. And I realized that moment on, I was like, hey, you know what? I made that interaction about me and not about him. And I really need to validate his feelings. I wish I could go back in time and kind of do things differently. Oh. That might seem like a very minor thing, but it affected me for the rest of my career. Wow. And, and do you know, I think uh, I'm sure a lot of people who have been in the similar situation where you're in a heightened emotional state, particularly yeah. for, you know, trainee doctors. And I used to go out with a, a doctor who was practicing medicine and he had to, he had many people on his shift who uh, unfortunately passed away. And then having to go and talk to somebody, you know, after that trauma of, you know, very, at a very young age as well, having to, to say that, 
is hugely difficult. And I think it's very hard and we, we don't give doctors enough credit. It's very hard to manage your emotions when you're in such a heightened emotional state and, you know, ultimately slightly traumatized because you've never had to do it before. So it was the trauma of having to do it straight and then straight into another experience where you had to turn it off. Yes. It is incredibly difficult. I'll never never forget that. So Mm. thank you for sharing it. And how do you manage it now? How do you manage anything that is, you know, where you have to, where you're in a heightened emotional state, whether it's a trauma or somebody's triggered you for, for whatever, you know, somebody has passed away, that's a patient of yours or a, somebody who you knew, and then you have to go and have a, a very uh, safe conversation with the next patient. How do you manage it now to, to support yourself? So really good question. So, I would, so in that situation, um of in that very heightened emotional state i have to sort of detach myself from the outcome you know mm-hmm. um, you have to physically just kind of meditate on it and say hey it's not my fault that this person passed away mm-hmm. you know, this person had the flu and had a heart attack because of the flu and it's nothing that we can do about it right and so um right the the current adaptive mechanism is the fact that I am still this person, this family's guide, and mm-hmm. there's resources for that. There's hospital resources, there's counseling, all the stuff I didn't know existed before mm-hmm. that I can leverage their expertise for this family. And that would have made me feel a whole lot better helping them mm-hmm. you know, work through the trauma of referring to someone else. So, so I now no longer get tied to a specific outcome from an emotional state perspective but just feel it, digest it. Okay, it didn't feel very good, okay? Mm-hmm. But be that guidance in that patient's role and patient's family role and then move on. It, mm-hmm. it really helps dramatically. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of almost like sharing the burden, isn't it? I think that's a really great point is be, don't carry a burden that you can't shoulder. Yeah. You know, pass, and it's not like passing the buck, mm-hmm. uh, but give it to a guide who is familiar with that burden that the family is carrying so that they can help lighten their load and don't make it your own burden. Yes, so not surprisingly after that, I went into hospice medicine and palliative care. (laughs) So that was my career trajectory interim in the interim after that, so yeah. Yeah, yeah, wow. I'd love to dive into the next one, but we're not going to do all of them just from a time perspective. But based on the topic, which has really been about belief systems, I want to dive into connection to yourself. What is the most important value or values that guide you in life? It's very broad. Um, Number one, um, is I have to remind myself that I deserve it and to celebrate the, the small victories. Yeah. Um, you know, last night, both my kids were, were playing with me before, before I flew to Dallas here. And um, 
I celebrate, I had, and I made myself celebrate the fact that, you know, we're, we're such a close knit family where in my childhood, we would never have done that, you know? Yeah. Um, and so th- that was a mini win. It was five minutes of just playing around, but that was a mini win. Right. Um, and not the, and so because of that, I tend to, you know, take myself less seriously and which is good because it's okay to laugh at yourself. It's okay to to look at certain things and say, oh, that, that's not what I meant to do or, or what I meant to say and project upon that to myself and not other people. A lot of times we project resentment onto the people that are around us. And I've experienced that quite a bit in my life, right? Yeah. And so let's just project self inward first and, and work through those emotions. So I think uh, celebrate the small victories and just pause and think about uh, things that maybe triggers are the two things that make the biggest impact in my life. Yeah, do you know, I think that is is so important. So often we gloss over the little mm. things in yes. life and it's often the little things that really matter and actually yes. the little things that really make a big difference. Yeah, absolutely. And, and when we focus our attention on those, it can hugely elevate our mood and hugely influence how we view the world. So I'd love to dive on to the next one because <clears throat> we because of the belief system is thoughts. Mm-hmm. What stupid or crazy thought have you often told yourself in the past that isn't true? I can handle everything that comes <laughs> at me. <laughs> uh, that me hero, to... that heuristic hero. <laughs> yeah, it, it took me a while to figure out that I can't multitask and there's no such thing. Um, and you know, I, I have the personality where, you know, I can start 17 projects, but only finish two, you know, and uh-huh. I have to, you know, slow myself down and create outcomes and goals for myself very specifically to overcome that. But this is a very common daily struggle is that if there's a task at hand, I think I can take it on, but that may not necessarily be true. So I rely on my wife who will tell me straight up whether or not that's true. She's very good at it. <laughs> It sounds like you have a very open relationship. It's easy to, uh, you know, bounce off of each other uh, and get the best out of each other by by having that open dialogue uh, and not being yeah. afraid to be told the truth. And that, uh, that because, took time. You know, know yeah. the truth and the truth will set you free, as they say. Right. And that, and that took a lot of time and work and energy into our relationship. You know, it's not always roses like this, right? No. And so but we would come to a, a type of a time in our relationship we realize that over communication is always key yeah and you know that belief system that i can handle everything um <laughs> yeah it, it is 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 driven by you know underlying it is often ego mm-hmm. <laughs> and Absolutely. it and it and it's you know acknowledging the fact that that is the driver mm-hmm. um and also you know being okay with the fact that you don't have to be the the savior of everything you don't have to carry the carry the the rucksack of all of your family <laughs> you know mm-hmm. you can divvy it up um yes a, a, and divide and divide the tasks and accomplish more mm-hmm. absolutely so um i know we've talked about belief systems and the impact that belief systems can hugely have on your brain and whole body health what one piece of advice would you give to anybody who who is uh, struggling with a condition in their life where they've tried all the drugs 
they don't feel like they're making the progress that they want to be making and they know that they need to do something different compared to the traditional approach of, of you know of me medication or supplementation what one piece of advice would you give to anyone who's in that position um i have two <laughs> okay that's fine <laughs> uh the first one is accept love the people who who are in this this type of situation tend to be very lonely but there's people actively trying to provide them with love and because they don't feel like they deserve it they push it away and they do things that 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 really push it away and that creates this whole gigantic you know monster that's that's really there that drives life and and the reason I know this is because I see it in patients all the time, you know. Um, and so that's that's one piece of advice. And the second piece of advice: don't try to be the hero. Um, in fact, being the hero is probably what drives love away. You know, wow. it's it's okay to make mistakes because you're not the hero. You're human, just like everyone else. And if you can take those two pieces of advice to heart, um, then and there's no reason for loneliness. So don't be a hero and accept love. Yeah. Do you know, I think that's brilliant advice. It's almost like leave your cape at the door yeah. uh, and, and, and come and take off that superhero cape and the superhero costume that you've put around yourself mm. uh, and then reveal your true identity when you want to mm. really do the deep work. Because right. it's only, uh, you know, superheroes who are really become great. <laughs> are the ones that actually work on their true self and they take the cake off the, the cape off and they take all of the clothes off and they 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 do that work internally uh, and you have to love yourself in the first instance and to love yourself will allow you to to accept the love from others when you take right. the time to do that that's brilliant advice wow Thank you so much for your time on the show today. It's been a fantastic conversation and something that's so important in the context of unchaining your pain from mm -hmm. a brain and whole body health perspective and something that we don't really spend enough time ever <laughs> talking right. about, which is the importance of our belief systems in that journey. How can people get hold of you? several ways um find me on social media um so it's my name chang ron c-h-e-n-g-r-u-a-n-m-d and uh, you can find me on pretty much all the social media so twitter instagram facebook linkedin it's under all under the same same handle yeah. and uh, leave a comment or two i do post some things that um, are very uh, congruent with the topic that we just talked about when it comes to belief systems and health and stuff like that and uh and i really really i'm curious how people uh receive it and and and, uh, and utilize it yeah and i think it's really exciting topic you know in the context of of healing because it's not something that is you know it's kind of new new science in a way by virtue of the fact that it's not you know there's not an enormous amount of data behind it but there is still a huge amount of data but it's not generally in the public domain um, the importance of of our belief systems in changing the outcomes and trajectory of our, our lives. So I'm 
I'm so pleased. <laughs> I'm so pleased you're really taking a huge focus on this and the context of the work that you're doing. And I'm really excited for the, you know, the outcomes that your patients will have and all of those that you, you are serving um, across the work, the work that you do. And I would encourage people to go and check out your, your website uh, and look at all the courses because there's some amazing information on there about helping people on their journey uh, to healing and also from a palliative um, care perspective. So do please check out Dr. Ron and, and the work he's doing and connect with him. Thank you so much for joining me on my show. It's been a real pleasure. And I look forward to connecting with you and learning more about your um, event that's coming up in 2023 and, and yes. seeing more of the work that you're doing. So thank you. Thank you so much. Appreciate you. This broadcast is brought to you by Winject Studios. We are an all-in-one educational platform for podcasters that revolutionizes how hosts leverage content to increase engagement with listeners, downloads, and income. We come together to focus on community, collaboration, and collective impact. For more information on how you can interact directly with our hosts, access exclusive live content with offers you can't get anywhere else from our official partners, join our purpose-driven community by visiting www.winject.com. If you're ready to build a career doing what you love, then we're ready to see you there.